Hello and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. This episode, I am joined by a very special woman with an incredible story, and I'm so, so excited to share this conversation. I'm pleased to have Avera Maria Santo on the show today. Avera, as you may know, is a very powerful and engaging speaker and writer, and she does a lot of traveling and speaking on her experiences with same-sex attraction while remaining faithful to the teachings of the Catholic Church. Her joy and her love for the church is incredibly powerful, and the way she speaks about God's love will help you to see his love in a new and profound way. In this episode, Avera shares her testimony of navigating faith and same-sex attraction, why she loves the Catholic Church and her teachings, and how all women are called to be homes for other people we encounter in our daily lives. Hello, Avera. Hi, how are you, ma'am? Oh, ma'am, thank you. I am well. How are you? <laughs> I'm blessed. Highly favored. Thank you. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Avera, like we were chatting just before, and I know that we'd been swapping emails and messages back and forth, mm-hmm. but thank you so much for joining us on the Feminine Genius Podcast. Avera, I think first and foremost, for those who don't know you, would you mind introducing yourself and sharing with listeners a little bit about who you are? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Like you said, my name is Avera Maria Santo. I hail from Mobile, Alabama. You know, being from Mobile, there is this very distinct and honestly extremely odd Catholic population here because our city was settled in by French Catholics. So in the like Bible Belt area where I'm from, you know, of the United States, There's these like just weird places where there's a bunch of Catholic people and my city just so happens to be one of them. So I kind of grew up very surrounded by my faith, but I didn't really take it very seriously until I was in high school, particularly my sophomore year, when I went to my Archdiocesan Catholic Youth Conference purely to get out of playing in a soccer tournament where my lung had collapsed two years before. So I was like, I'm not about it. I'm not doing it. And this retreat is in a five-star resort in Perdido Beach. Hello? (laughs) So I went and wasn't expecting really to get anything out of it except for staying in a lavish hotel room with all of my closest friends, you know, who were in in youth group with me. But I came away having this profound encounter with Christ And it turned my entire world upside down. You know, I started looking at everything differently. And, you know, my entire outlook on life and disposition and everything just started changing and shifting all because of this initial encounter. And even though things took a while to shift and to change and to transform, that specific moment was still a very... It was a very transformative time for me. It was a pivotal moment. And 
I walked out of that conference wondering how I was going to continue in my relationship with Christ and what that was going to look like Mm -hmm. as far as just my everyday life. And I wondered how that would include something that I started really combating because one of my friends at this same conference came out to me as bisexual. And this was the first time that someone who was that close to me, I think I had a family friend growing up. I think I had this like general or like very vague idea that so-and-so was quote unquote gay. But she, she, like I said, she was one of my best friends. So I didn't really know how to go about it. Mm -hmm. And I especially didn't know how to deal with the fact that I started becoming, as we grew in relationship with each other, I started growing more and more attracted to her. Now, she didn't go to my school and then she stopped coming to youth group as much. So I didn't see her as often, which I thought, okay, I'm in the clear, like I'm good. It was just that one time, (laughs) you know, like I can just, I'm smooth sailing from here. I go back to being my boy crazy self at this point. And sure enough, this is my sophomore year, my junior year, the new girl in my religion class of all of my classes that she could have been in. She was in my religion class and I was infatuated like from the jump. I was so scared. You know, I didn't know what to do, especially because, you know, I'm at a Catholic high school. Mm -hmm. And I see how my friends and really I can make friends with anybody. So even though I had really grown in my faith, I still had very dear friends to me who weren't active in the faith at all or were practicing or even hated the faith. When I started growing in relationship with one boy in particular who I knew identified as gay, I saw how he was treated. Mm. And I wanted no part of that, especially for something that I didn't ask for. Yeah. You know, like I didn't wake up one morning and decide to be attracted to my best friend at the time. And I definitely didn't decide for it to be this prolonged thing, you know, where people just kind of think, oh, it's a phase or, oh, it's just this person. That wasn't the case for me. You know, it still Mm -hmm. persists to this day. So I had no clue how to go about that. I had no clue how to face or rationalize, especially in relation to my faith, how I was going to go about this or how I was going to deal with it, you know, how I was going to accept the fact that I felt this way, that I was indeed experiencing same-sex desires or homosexual attractions. I really was just horrified and and scared. And, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old and I have class to deal with. I'm playing sports and I'm playing soccer and running track. And, you know, I have all these other things to do instead of crying myself to sleep, worrying about what she thinks of me. But the latter is what I spent a lot of my time doing. You know, my grades plummeted. The way that I saw myself, it put me in a lot of emotional turmoil that I just was not ready to experience at all. So I'm fighting with this. I'm wrestling and thinking, okay, how do I reconcile this with my faith? And it took a few years, but I did reconcile. And I don't even want to say that. I want to say that Christ came in and showed his face in the midst of my experience and showed me I'm more powerful than this. And this is not you. You know, while I have allowed this to happen, and I've allowed this for very good reason, this isn't you. 
-hmm. your desires, your attractions, your faults, your failures, your merits, you know, the good things that you do are not you. Your identity is far greater than that because I gave it to you. The society can't give that to you. Your desires or attractions can't define you because they have no authority over you. And the authority that Christ has is an authority of love, of, of charity, of beauty, of goodness, of truth. And once I figured that out, it changed my perspective completely. It changed how I looked at myself, how I looked at the world, how I looked at the church in particular. And I realized that this faith, this church, this God is my home. Mm-hmm. You know, all of it is the place where I find peace where I find joy, even in the midst of great struggle, because the suffering is still there, (laughs) you know, it is still a daily cross to carry. It's still heavy. It's still burdensome, but it's beautiful all the same because of whose face is written on my heart, on the palm of whose hand my very name is written. And I love that. You know, I, I, there are plenty of days where I wish I could rid myself of the cross where I'm just like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) Like I just, I'm feeling it today. Today is not my day, but there's other times when Christ comes in and just really reveals himself or not even that Christ comes in because he's always present. But when I approach him and he approaches me mm-hmm. and we just have this mutual exchange of love. And I realize that this is it. You know, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is the relationship that I'm supposed to be in. And it's beautiful. It's life-changing, life-altering. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I couldn't carry this cross any other way. Like I would have died long ago if I tried doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is incredibly striking. I think back to my own high school experience. And high school, I think for a lot of people already sucks. And then you've got <laughs> other things to deal with. What I've heard all throughout. And again, like, thank you so much for just being open, for being vulnerable and sharing that. The ways in which we see things that happen to us in the context of our faith, how does that reconcile? Like you use that word. And I love how you describe that, you know, Christ revealed himself. You know, he's there on the crucifix so we can see him. But sometimes it really takes that second look or that extra encounter to be like, okay, there he is. And Mm -hmm. he's in the midst of every single moment. When we think about same-sex attraction, especially in the context of the Catholic Church, like I, you know, listeners, I'm going to be very honest with you right now. Like this is something that I am new at just because I don't have that experience. I don't have that context. And when I think about it in the way that you've described Avera, like how it's, you know, it really is a cross to carry, you know, in that first moment, when you realized that this was something more than a one-off, if you could think back to that first time where you realized that it's not just the one friend Mm -hmm. But this is actually something that's a lot deeper than that. What was that experience like? Oh, man. I think it was an initial, you've got to be kidding me. Probably kidding replaced with another prefix four-letter word that we're not going to say here. But I mean, (laughs) that's kind of where I was at. I was angry. Mm-hmm. You know, I was really upset, just disgruntled and thinking like, why? Especially because I don't know if I mentioned this, because I went to a Catholic high school, it was shocking to me looking back on it that I had never once heard homosexuality brought up mm. ever. My four years at my Catholic high school, never heard it brought up one time, not in my classes, not from the pulpit, 
The only time that I ever really heard about it was in conversations with people who identified as gay or when I ran track in high school. And one of the things that really annoyed us was sometimes during the spring training for the football players, they would practice in the middle of the track. And whenever somebody messed up a play, they'd be like, oh, that's gay. Or like, oh, he did this. Oh, he did. So again, not like that was really speaking about LGBTQ issues in whatever way. But again, that was the only time that I really ever heard that word used. Mm-hmm. You know, it was used as a slur. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was used to demean or dehumanize another person. And I did not, for the life of me, want to be the gay kid, especially because I knew how people who identified as gay at my school were treated. Again, like they were treated like animals or like objects or like punching bags for people, you know, to just like kind of get out their anger or frustration for whatever reason. They didn't even need a good reason. They were just harsh. And nobody wants to be treated like that. Mm -hmm. I remember very vividly just kind of going back and forth, especially before Jesus and adoration and just being like, why? (laughs) You know, like, why me? What did I do? I didn't kill anybody. I haven't done anything that bad. Why me? Why would you do this to me? Mm -hmm. And I just remember being so upset and frustrated and sorrowful over something. Again, like, I didn't ask for this. And there seemed to be no silver lining. Either I was going to be mistreated for the rest of my life, or I was going to have to live a life where I was doing something that I really didn't want to do. Of course, the attractions were there. But especially, I guess, being exposed to pornography so young and already having that addiction kind of boiling under the surface, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to give into that because I knew I had been a slave to my desires already. Right. And I didn't want to be even more enslaved by that. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to be constantly... um, just kind of at the mercy of whatever my desires wanted at that particular moment. And at that time, um, it was desiring sexual intimacy with other women. I had some, some inclination that it was wrong, but again, I really didn't understand why. So it didn't really seem like a good reason (laughs) to not go for it. And I kind of felt like, well, maybe I just need to get over the Catholic guilt. And then I just kind of started realizing like, no, you didn't want that for a good reason because you weren't made for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you were made for so much more than to be a slave to your desires. We live in a society where if you do what you want, you're going to be the happiest. Mm-hmm. And that guarantees you freedom to be able to do as you want. But that's not freedom. That's license. And license and freedom are not the same thing. The best definition I've ever heard of freedom is that authentic human freedom is to be able to joyfully and willingly do as you ought, Mm. not necessarily as you want, because we can want things that are bad for us. But when we want and desire truth and goodness and beauty, that's when we're the most free. Mm -hmm. Really, anything less than that is bondage. And I didn't want to be a slave. My people have been slaves for long enough. So I did not want that for myself. I don't want that for the people that I love. 
I thought, okay, how can I start telling people this, <laughs> you know, that I don't want to say preaching because I feel like I'm not very much of a preacher, but how can I kind of share this message and invite people into this truth that I found and I'm still finding. And that's kind of how my ministry was born is just trying to help people see what I saw, you know, and I'm still seeing because his face is constantly before mine. So that's how it all transpired, but it all came out of a place of just being so angry, you know, just like so upset. And so why would you do this? And it, it took him a minute to answer, but it was, oh my gosh, the answer was absolutely beautiful. The answer was encounter with him, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so there is no better answer. Absolutely. You know, I've seen stories of people who have left the church because people aren't talking about it or maybe they have a very skewed perception even of the church's relationship to like homosexuality and vice versa. Maybe within the church, perhaps like we haven't been as welcoming as we should. Has there ever been time like where you've really brushed up against people who really didn't understand and really didn't get it? How did you gracefully go about that? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) absolutely. A lot of this, again, has been born out of my relationships with other people and how Christ has revealed himself and his love and his plan through the joys and the ministries and the peace that other people have. I think there's one really undeniable fact is that the people who know God are so different. (laughs) Like their lives are so different and they're so attractive and at times overwhelming. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've been in the same room as an extremely holy person and you were just, what is this? (laughs) What is this that they have and how can I get it? (laughs) You know, like, how can I be like that? Um, And whatever it is that they had just combated all of the darkness that I had in me. Um, that I had grown so accustomed to. I don't think that people, especially people in the church today, I don't think we realize how much of an impact holiness has on the world. Because at the end of the day, the transforming power that Christ wants to bestow on the world first has to be given as a grace to one of his friends. Mm. to one of his saints, Mm -hmm. right? And they're the ones that kind of take that into the streets because Christ has no hands and no feet, but theirs, you know? So anybody who gives over their lives, gives over, and it doesn't even have to be anything big, you know? Uh, I I was reading uh, The Read of God by Carol Houselander, which is one of my favorite books about the, the Blessed Virgin. And Houselander made the note that, Mary gave over her daily life, like her normal, everything that she did, because she didn't have much. You know, this is a poor girl from Nazareth who really has not that much to give. But whatever she did have, she gave wholly and totally and faithfully to God. And he used that. You know, Mary is the greatest, is the queen of all saints. She is our model to follow. Mm -hmm. That's really what inspired me, is just seeing people living their faith and being happy about it. At the same time, too, I think what I genuinely find so beautiful, specifically about the church and about Christ, is that 
and her 2000 years of existence of her 2000 years of being the bride of Christ, Mm. she and her teachings does not waver. You know, she and her love does not waver. I just saw an article yesterday about somebody who identifies as like an LGBTQ Catholic saying something along the lines of we're transforming the church from the ground up. I don't know the person, but I can only rebuttal to the statement because I don't know him. The statement is false (laughs) because listen, church teaching and her love for not only Christ, Mm -hmm. But her people, her members, her sons and her daughters is not changing. (laughs) Like she's not going anywhere. Christ himself has already transformed her, made her as beautiful as she is. And even when her members or Christ's body fails her, she's still beautiful. Not the ways that we merited to make her beautiful or anything like that, but because Mm -hmm. of who made her beautiful in the first place. I appreciate the teachings of the church, specifically on homosexuality so much, because even in the face of all of these people trying to pressure her or even attack her into changing, Mm -hmm. she stands. And she's done this for 2000 years. You know, Christ has upheld her for 2000 years and she will be upheld by Christ and by those who love her until time ends, you know, until all of this passes away. And that is just so impressive to me, Mm -hmm. especially in the ways that I've been peer pressured into believing something or into doing something that I didn't want to do or that I knew was wrong. And she doesn't cave into that. She never has and she never will. The fact that, especially in regards to homosexuality, She and those who love her don't water down the faith is so, so impressive. Mm -hmm. It's just so beautiful to me because there are plenty of people outside of the church and within the church who want teachings to change, Mm -hmm. who are trying to advocate in, in so many different ways for the teachings to change. But she says, I'm not going anywhere and I'm not loving my children any differently because I know love Mm -hmm. because my beloved is love himself. So she's not going anywhere. And I'm just, I'm so happy and I'm so grateful and so joyful mm-hmm. in regards to that. And seeing people kind of take that same spirit and uphold that is great. And I think that that's what, to kind of go back to your question, is what holds everything together when we're encountering people who might believe something different. Not only does she preach the truth, but she preaches the truth in love, Mm -hmm. which I think is difficult to do in our time because we don't know how to dialogue anymore. We either (laughs) like go off on Facebook rants or like get into arguments with people. No, she knows how to dialogue and and the people who really truly love God in the church, they know how to enter into conversation with people and how to not necessarily force faith on them, but how to dialogue Mm -hmm. with people, you know, how to invite them into the fullness of truth, into the fullness of goodness, into the fullness of beauty. And I've had some of those encounters where people just, don't get it. And a lot of them are coming from a place where they've been hurt or they've seen someone hurting. 
And that's real. That's raw. And that is definitely something that can sway the way that a person thinks. What I've seen be the most effective in the lives of not only the people who are preaching truth, but in the, in the people who are hearing it, maybe for the first time, is when we stick to it. Mm-hmm. When we abide by it, when we allow ourselves to be transformed by it, because we have something the world doesn't. You know, we have something that I think people desire so deeply, and it's such an ingrained desire within them because God placed Himself in all of us. You know, we are we bear His image, we bear His likeness. So of course we desire Him, and no matter how much we numb ourselves to that desire, I think that there's going to be people walking this earth who abide in truth, who awaken us to that, you know, who awaken us to be like, okay, there's something there that they have and I'm drawn to it. You know, that's our duty as Christians is to abide in truth and to allow ourselves to be transformed by truth so that then we can bear Christ to all of those who come to us looking for him. Mm-hmm. You know, amen. 2000 years of wisdom. And, you know, mm-hmm. here's to many, many more. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, to go back to that freedom piece, just the fact that like when we think about the commandments or the catechism, these are laws that hold us down and oppress mm-hmm. us. It allows us to live in the fullness of mm-hmm. who we can be and who we're meant to be. Yeah. And for you to have had that encounter so early on, I think is such a blessing because I know that for me, it's only been a very recent thing that I've come to, to grapple with. But I guess to think about your ministry, for example, and to think about this encounter that you've had at a younger age and how like you've been at this for, like, I didn't realize that we were the same age. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because I've seen you everywhere that I'm like, oh my goodness, she's been around and she's so youthful and so joyful. And then I'm like, oh, she legitimately is youthful. <laughs> and that is incredible, but also incredibly mature in the faith. But in terms of your ministry, you speak everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> But what's that been like, you know, to go around, to meet different people, to talk to hundreds or thousands of people or smaller groups? I know that you and another good friend of yours, you just started a podcast not too long ago. So how have you seen your ministry grow in that way? Oh, man, I think the uh, the greatest way that my ministry has grown is (laughs) honestly by revealing myself to myself. My mom, she told me when I was in high school, I saw Katie Prejean McGrady speak at a conference. And my mom looks over to me after Katie gets done speaking. And she said, I can see you up there one day. And I was like, I think I could too. Like, I I think I can do that. But I'm never going to talk about homosexuality ever. (laughs) Like, that is not, the word is not coming out of my mouth. Which, you know, God is funny. He just (laughs) kind of looked down at me and was like, oh, really? You know, there's a little bit of nerves every time I get on stage or I'm about to speak in front of a youth group or at a parish or something like that. But I think what's been probably the most incredible part is just being able to see myself for who I am. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that 
I could be on stage talking, get standing ovations or whatever. That's not going to amount to my identity. Or I could be getting slammed on Twitter. Everybody's canceling me. You know, (laughs) like I have people texting and calling me being like, you suck. Like you said this. Even that at my lowest points will not be my identity. I think one of the things that I've kind of been noticing and realizing is that while the speaking and the traveling and all of that is great, the most profound part is just God saying, you could stop this tomorrow and I'm still going to love you. Mm. (laughs) You know, you could have never gotten on the stage or you could have never gotten in front of this group of people. I'd still love you. But I think the other incredible part is that I think I'm experiencing more of Christ doing this than I would if I had just kind of stayed to myself and not said anything and never told anybody. And this is not necessarily me advocating to everybody who experiences same-sex attraction to then go out and tell all these people. Like, you are not obligated to do that, first and foremost, because it's nobody else's business. Unless you want to make it their business, you know, I, I advocate for telling, you know, a few close friends or family members, people who are going to support you in your walk toward heaven are going to accompany you on that journey and know the church's teachings and it can uphold you when you fall and you can uphold them when they fall, that kind of thing. But just one of the things that I think he's revealed to me is that there's so much that he can do with a person who says yes to him, no matter what. You know, I figured that because I had this attraction that I was done for, you know, in the eyes of the church or in the eyes of her people. If you think about it, really, I'm thinking about it now, the exact opposite was true. Christ has shown me where the church is really suffering, where the bride of Christ is hurting and is broken and is showing me where I can come and play my part and healing her and being Christ to her and putting bandages on her wounds and tending to the wounds, not only of the church, but of the body of Christ and his members. You know, I can play an active role in that. I think Sister Miriam James said something about it's so nice being able to come into Christ um, and just resting in him and not having to explain yourself. (laughs) You know, and just not having to really say much of anything, but just be there and just rest. And I feel like I can do that now. I can finally breathe. And as a person who spent so much of her life walking on a tightrope at Mm -hmm. extremely high altitudes, and as a person who has asthma as well, has (laughs) trouble breathing already, (laughs) you know, I'm able to breathe so much better now, knowing and resting not only in the fact that God loves me, but also that the church needs me, that there is a place for me to take part in her restoration, to take part in her beauty that already exists because of who gave that to her, because of who bestowed that on her. My place is so beautiful and it's so tangible and it's so just for me. If I wasn't doing it, of course somebody else could do it, but obviously Christ called me to this place because he wants me here that it wouldn't be the same if it wasn't me. And we all have that place in the church. And if we don't take our place, you know, if we don't step into our roles, especially as women, 
You know, there is such a powerful place in the church for all women of all walks of life that doesn't necessarily have to mandate that you enter religious order or you marry this man or you work this job or you don't work this job. There is a place for all of us to engage not only in the spiritual battle, but engage in the vocation of just being beautiful daughters of God, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that looks like in whatever place or whatever role that calls us to. Really stepping into my role just has made me realize how beautiful life can be when lived all for Jesus, because he prepared this heavenly place for me to operate out of. This has my name on it. He doesn't want to give it to anybody else. He wants it just for me. And I love it here. Like, I absolutely love it. And I guess it brings me back to when you were telling your story earlier, you were asking, why me? Why me? To get to a point where it's the one thing that was this huge cross, this huge burden is actually the thing that not only sets you free, but is the thing that is a catalyst for you to bring Christ to a part of his church. Amen. And then it comes to this point where it's like, why not me? Exactly. I love that you're talking about women. As you know, that this podcast, it's called The Feminine Genius. I know that without a doubt, just from hearing you speak, from being in this intimate encounter with you today, that there is a place for you, like you've mentioned, you, you've alluded to that. Um, in terms of your own personal feminine genius, like how have you seen that grow throughout your life? Man, I think for me, the way that I've really encountered your woman and your beautiful is... In my receptivity, I think, if you think about it, women have this incredible capacity for receptivity that you just don't see across the board, you know, (laughs) you just don't see with our male counterparts. Not to say that they can't be receptive, but it's a unique gift to us. And oftentimes when men learn receptivity, it is from the women in their lives who know how to be uh, receptive. And I think that... Where receptivity has come in in my life is women have this beautiful capacity for home. If you really think about it, our bodies are homes for nine months for our children. Or even if we never have our own biological children, the grace and the gift of adoption, you know, we can make ourselves a home. In my case, I may never be married, but by virtue of me being a woman, I have the vocation to be a mother. Mm-hmm. I am a woman, so I am, in fact, called to be a mother. But I may not ever have my own biological children. I may never adopt children, but I will always be called to be a spiritual mother mm-hmm. to someone. I love that because, again, we have this capacity to open our hearts to people and invite people in and just receive them and love them, nurse them back to health, and send them out into the world to then glorify God. I want to be able to do that for people. And that's kind of one of the driving forces of my particular ministry is that I know for a fact that there's going to be people that come to me and I've traveled far and wide all across the United States and I'm going to travel internationally here soon is the fact that there are so many people who come to me, just the tears the brokenness, the fragility of the human experience. We have to be vulnerable to the fact that God is asking something of us. It's asking us to play a part 
in other people's lives. And the way that we as women do that, I think can so often be just inviting people in, just giving them a place to rest their head, to come in, to have some sort of shelter from the storm and to learn and to hear and to encounter Christ where he can meet them within us. Our bodies, our temples are so beautiful, are so profound. This is why it's worth taking care of ourselves. You know, not to say that we should go out all of this plastic surgery or like, you know, anything like that. It's not even that. I think taking care of ourselves is not only the physical aspect, but it's a spiritual one as well. We are human, but we are also spiritual beings, you know, so taking care of both. And then not over-spiritualizing human problems. Amen. (laughs) But also not over-humanizing spiritual problems. Listen, get you a counselor and a spiritual director, sis. (laughs) There are two sets of issues here that both deserve taking care of. And taking care of ourselves then means that we can go out and start taking care of other people. But that has to start with us. You know, we can only give, we can only pour out if we have been first poured into. So that's, I think that that's where I've seen it the most in my own life is just recognizing that I'm a woman and I am a home for so many people. Even if they just come in for a little while and they're just passing by the way, I can say, come in, let's get you rested and let's talk about Jesus. Mm. You know, like let's have an encounter with Christ and let's meet him exactly where we are in this moment, in this place, in this time. I just invite any and all women, especially my sisters who are listening to this now, first of all, go home to your church. And if your church is not open, go home to your word, to your scriptures and pray with that. But also be prepared for God to make you a home because, you know, not only does he want his members to find a place to rest, he wants a place to rest his head. He wants a place to come in and rest as well. So we have to, to diligently and beautifully be open to receiving all who pass by the way, including Christ, because he is in every person that comes to us. And we have to treat them with kindness and with compassion, but also tell them the truth, because you cannot be compassionate to a person while lying to them. Listeners, I hope you've been like snapping every single <laughs> point. Oh my gosh. But I also want to go back to you saying receptivity and how that's something that you've seen in your own life. And one of the emails that you sent back to me at Vera was like, I cannot wait to encounter Christ with you. And I just thought that that was such a beautiful thing to say, just because in every moment we Mm -hmm. can encounter Christ, even in the difficult conversations. And I think just as we close here, when we think about our own lives, and it may not even be a same-sex attraction for those who are listening to this, it could be something else entirely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for those who are listening, who are maybe trying to evade the cross or Mm -hmm. maybe bargain with God, I know that I've had those experiences and I'm sure that you must have had those like bargains with God. (laughs) Try to bribe my Lord and Savior. You hear me? I will do anything if you just take this away. There you go. For anyone who has a cross and they're unsure or they don't feel like they can carry it, do you have any words of encouragement or advice for them? Yeah. First and foremost, know each and every one of you are so unconditionally, faithfully, fruitfully, beautifully loved. That goes with you and follows you wherever you roam. You can stray 
as far away as you will from God, and he will still come running out to you to greet you. The parable of the prodigal son is one of my favorites Mm -hmm. in all of scripture. There's good reason for that because I have been the prodigal daughter. You know, I've gone far and wide into distant lands looking for the love that only God can give me. And I've fallen short. I have done it all, you know. But again, at the end of the day, God will always come running for you. One of my favorite titles for God is the Hound of Heaven. That beautiful poem by Francis Thompson, I believe is his name, is that he just comes hunting, you know, just comes running feverishly in a way, searching, scouring the earth, looking for us. And he knows exactly where we are. He knows where to come running, where to come hunting, where to come finding us. And then when he finds us, the outpouring of love that he gives, you'll notice in the, the story of the prodigal son, To neither son does the father give reproach. Neither time. He doesn't sit there and say, I told you not to do this because this was going to happen. That does not happen. It is never God that tires of forgiving us. Mm -hmm. It is us that tire of asking for forgiveness. I encourage you never to grow weary of asking for forgiveness. To never grow weary of abiding in his love because I am telling you right now, I know from personal experience, I know firsthand you will never find a love this good. Mm. You will never find a love this true. You will never find a love this beautiful. There is nowhere else to look. There is nowhere to run and you will be lost. Mm. (laughs) You know, you will be lost searching foreign places and foreign lands for a love that you can only find right here in your home. The church is your home. You know, the body of Christ is your home and the body of Christ needs you. You know, the body of Christ would be in a way broken without you. So come home and embrace the joy that Christ has for you because fleeting happinesses will fade, but the love of Christ That is something that even when feelings fade, will never leave you. Mm -hmm. God himself will never leave you. So even in the times when you feel like dirt or you feel like the scum of the earth or you feel like he would never accept you, know that the evil one is lying to you. Mm -hmm. And he is a very persistent and very convincing liar. But God, in his infinite goodness and wisdom, is the most profound of lovers. And all lovers who love well at all take from him. There is no better place (laughs) than the body of Christ. There is no better place than the Catholic Church. And this goes for all women, for all men. You know, there might be a guy coming in and listening, just wanting to hear. But for any and all who are listening, there is no better place for you than your home. And you are home. So welcome home. Let's rest your head. Let's get you rested up. Let's get you healed. And let's send you on your way, on the way to to heaven, to holiness, because there is nowhere else to be. Avera, from the very bottom of my heart, thank you so, so much. Thank you for coming into my little home for a little (laughs) bit. Thank you for just sharing your wisdom, for being vulnerable, for sharing a little part of your adventure. And I know that it's only just begun. There's just so much more out there for you. So thank you for what you're doing for the church, for the body of Christ. 
And if you could close us in a closing prayer, that would be amazing. Absolutely. I would love to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this time that I've had with my sisters to be able to share in your presence. You know, every time that we say your name, I've heard it said that your very name is pregnant with your presence. So I call upon your name here and now asking you to send your blessing upon all of my amazing sisters that have come into your house, that have come to your bride looking for home. I ask that you would open up your sacred heart and pour out lavish and beautiful supernatural graces upon all who are here and now and present with you today. And I charge you for all of my sisters who have roamed far and wide, be the hound of heaven for them, looking for them. Oh, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. I love that line and I love that you can be that for us. I love that you are our place of refuge. You are the cornerstone who was rejected by so many. And even in the places where we've been rejected, Lord God, I ask that you transform and transfigure those places. And in our deepest wounds, may we constantly see your face. And I ask, Mother Mary, that you come and you wrap us in your mantle of protection that you model for us what it means to be a Christian, that you model for us what it means to be a lover of Christ, your son, which you modeled so perfectly. And I want to entrust all of my sisters to your care now and hope that they do the same for those that they love. As we pray, hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And Our Lady, Refuge of Sinners, pray for us and be a mother to us now and forever. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. My thanks again to Avera Maria Santo for joining us on the show today and sharing her joy and story with us. There are so many ways to stay in touch with Avera and to learn more about her. You can follow her on Instagram at Avera Maria Santo, and you can follow her on Twitter at Diary476. You may have also caught this very quick mention of it in our conversation, but Avera also has a podcast herself. Along with her friend Emmanuel Gonzalez, they host the Avera and Manny Show, a podcast that shares their experiences as faithful Catholics who experience same-sex attraction. Their podcast is on the way and you do not want to miss it, so please be sure to follow them on Instagram at the Avera and Manny Show to stay up to date. I've left links to all of these in the episode description below. You can stay up to date with the Feminine Genius Podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at FemGeniusPod. And you can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and many other platforms. All this information can be found on our website, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless always. Always.